Oh, wow. Okay. I wish I, I wish I had a very soothing name like Tone Waters. Uh, let's see, what would they be like? Sound Ocean. Pastor Sound Ocean. No? All right. Hi, everybody. Uh, we are going to be heading into our uh, teaching time this morning. Um, we're going to be doing Q&A after the message, so if there is something that uh, strikes you in the message, please text a question to that number that you're going to see on the screen right there, right there. And uh, if you would like to write down a question, you can take the Ask Pastor Brad card, which is in your seat pocket in front of you, write down a question, hold it up, we'll, and uh, we'll get those passed forward later in the service. Um, let's pray. Yeah, let's pray. Holy God, we are grateful for the opportunity right now to uh, hear from your word. Uh, I pray, God, that I won't get in your way. I pray, God, that the, the fractured way our minds work right now because we get distracted about things. We pray, Holy God, that your spirit, uh, we invite you to focus our hearts and our minds on this particular topic. We pray, Lord, that you would use what we are about right now uh, in ways that demonstrate your goodness and love, and grace and truth. Uh, Lord, help us hear well, help us see well, help me speak well, so that you are glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. And I'm going to ask, I'm a special favor, if you, I need, uh, maybe can I get three or five people who'd be willing to pray for me and for us as we walk through this topic. Because uh, in, in Christianity, we would say that there is a spiritual battle going on in our world. And uh, I firmly believe that the enemy seeks to, to uh, seek and destroy. And we're going to be talking about some sensitive stuff. And so I'd love some prayer support in the room right now. Who would, right there, can I get a couple... Right there, thank you. And over here, over here, and one over here. Ah, oh, there, there you go. Uh, and and your, your task, really, as, as I, we move through this, is uh, to pray. If I say something that you're like, oh, that's going to be tough for someone to hear, can you just pray, Lord, I, I pray that this person would, would receive in grace what uh, is being said. Uh, if I start to stumble around, you can pray that I get back on track. We, we want to do this well. All right. Uh, you're like, what in the world? Where are we headed? Well, the body, sex, and grace, you know, it, it, it doesn't get any more provocative than that. Um, I'd like to do a summary of where we've been the last many months. We did this last week. I might do it again next week. But I, I do this because some of you have not been with us on this long journey. And so this is kind of creating a foundation. Okay, uh, back in January, uh, as churches do, we, we once again refocused and said, all right, what are we all about? Um, we talked about the Word, the centrality of the Word of God. In our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, uh, we uh, affirmed the centrality of the Word of God. This written Word uh, is God's perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. That's what we believe in our denomination. Okay? And, but we would say we don't fully understand God's perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct outside of the lens of Jesus, who is God's last word, who is God's living word, who is the word in the flesh. And what's interesting is, so this 
uh, word we best understand through Jesus, who is the living word. But we don't know about the living word outside of the written word. And so the two really have to live together as we interpret, okay? So we talked about the centrality of the Word of God. The next month in February, we talked about uh, the, the decisions that we make as we move through life uh, being guided by the Word of God. And we talked about some, some fundamental truths um, that I, I think Christians have to live by. Uh, one of them is, uh, when you know who you are, you know what to do. So in, in Christianity, we would say we're Christ ones. That's our fundamental identity. We don't discover identity outside of anything but Christ. We are given an identity, and that identity is Christ one. We are, we are Christ ones. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. You do Jesus stuff, okay? And then we, uh, we talked about the phrase, um, we're not called to be effective according to the world's standards, we're called to be faithful to the standards of Christ, okay? And so the world kind of has a, an end justifies the mean types of uh, way of making decisions. We're actually called to make uh, decisions according to the ways of Christ. And the ways of Christ are often foolishness to the world, the scriptures say. Uh, also, uh, we talked about a posture of embrace, for God so loved the world that he sent his son, and, and God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, God embraced us. The, 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 the posture of the cross is an actual posture of embrace. I am going to love and forgive those who seek to destroy me. Jesus basically says on the cross. And so our posture as Christ ones is to have a posture of embrace toward the world. Um, and then in March, we started this series called The Body. We've been in it for a few months here. And uh, we've been exploring how our bodies are created as image-bearing bodies. We are made by love for love. We're made by the God who is love. We are made to give and receive love. We're image-bearing not just in our mind and our emotions, but these physical beings are image-bearing. And it, it, just so you know, your mind and your emotions are actually part of your body. <laughs> you don't have emotions outside of your body. And so these, this whole thing, this body self, is part of our image-bearing nature. And uh, we are designed uh, not in a way where our bodies are, you know, that we get to do whatever we want with them. Uh, the scriptures say that our bodies are not our own. Uh, the scriptures say that our bodies are designed to be uh, temples of the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures say that we are to uh, honor God with the way we live, we use our bodies, 1 Corinthians 3. And, and last week we noted how when it comes to uh, sexual ethics, okay, when it comes to um, the decisions we make about sex, in our culture, we often, people kind of grab from the Declaration of Independence, and in making our decisions, we say, well, the highest end is the pursuit of happiness. And while I love the Declaration of Independence, um, it's not the Word of God. And in the Word of God, the highest end is actually the pursuit of holiness. And what is holiness? Holiness is to be set apart for a sacred purpose. The scriptures over and over again, the Old Testament, New Testament, be holy as I am holy, God says. We are to be set apart, we are set apart already, uh, by God for a sacred person, a purpose. And it's in that vocation of being set apart 
that we actually discover what it is to be holy and happy. Because when we're living in that sacred vocation, we are living out the way God has designed us. And it's there where we find what it is to be filled with happiness, filled with, with joy. It's not easy, but that's, uh, that's the way God designed us. Last week we talked about how the Bible teaches us sex is a gift from God. It's designed for uh, the marriage covenant. Um, and we noted, but it's not necessary for a fulfilled life, which you're probably not going to hear anywhere else today as you move through life. Uh, that's not a message you hear a lot. Sex is a gift from God, but it's not necessary for a fulfilled life. How in the world can that possibly be? The Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be con- content in every circumstance. And he was a single person, single male. Uh, Jesus, the most fulfilled person in the scriptures, died a virgin. So sex is wonderful, but it's not necessary for an abundant life. Life without sex is not a deficient life. Life without Jesus is a deficient life. If we're going to look at the scriptures and affirm them as, a central, as, as central to how we understand life, well, life without Jesus is actually the deficient life. Now, that's all summary to get us to where we're going to head today, next week, and the following week. We're going to be talking about uh, how do we specifically uh, be Christ ones as we interact with our uh, LGBTQ plus neighbors, friends, and family members, our coworkers, etc. What do I mean by those letters? You'll see it on the screen there. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, uh, Queer and questioning the plus is an affirmative symbol, uh, uh, an inclusive symbol for everyone else uh, under this heading. Here at Faith, we say we are a family of grace making disciples of Jesus from generation to generation. A disciple is simply an apprentice, an apprentice of Jesus. That's what we're called to make here at Faith. So what is the call of the apprentices of Jesus to our friends, our neighbors, our family members who are LGBTQ+. How would we even know? Well, we start with God's Word. Understood through the living Word, Christ Jesus. Key to understanding how we're going to come to this understanding is a verse uh, uh, we're going to use this week and next week and maybe even the next week. Uh, Go ahead and put that up there. Read this with me, if you would. We have seen His glory... The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, uh, this is right out of the first chapter of John. That word glory, I'll just define that real quick because people get kind of confused. What is that? Uh, God's glory is the manifestation of His holiness. All right? So, the manifestation of His holiness is His Son. Jesus, we've seen the manifestation of his holiness. It is Jesus, his son. Jesus came to this world, how? Full of grace and full of truth. Okay. If God so loved the world that he sent his only son, the son came full of grace and truth. The body of Christ, which is the church, the local church, the church universal, the church worldwide, is is the body of Christ, has to come in all circumstances full of grace and truth. That is the way love always has to come. I love this as a two-sided coin. Think about the relationships you have. If they are going to be loving, they're going to have to have grace 
and they're going to have to have truth. If my relationship with you is loving and all I give you is truth, you're going to give up. I'm going to crush you in my demands because I'm going to be demanding complete perfection uh, from you. If all I give you is truth. Now, if all I give you is grace, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a very shallow relationship that's actually dishonest. We need grace and truth to live every loving relationship. So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on grace. Next week, we're going to focus on truth. This is a two-part message. This message will end with a to-be-continued. Okay, so if you miss next week's episode, (laughs) you're going to have to go online and you're going to have to listen to it. Please listen to it because I don't want people coming to me and saying, Pastor, you only said this. And I'll just say, go online because I also said something else the next week. All right. Uh, Both of these messages, just an FYI, uh, come from a writer named Preston Sprinkle, uh, which is a very strange name, but he's a good writer. And uh, he wrote a book called Grace and Truth 1.0. And uh, so I'll be leaning on him a lot over, over the next uh, couple weeks here. So, grace. What's grace? I always like to define grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Why is grace amazing? Well, grace is amazing because it saved a wretch like me. That's why grace is amazing. And it saved a wretch like you. <laughs> Just an FYI. Uh, yeah, we're all wretches. What that means is uh, we all stumble. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. We all do a bunch of stuff over and over again that is completely selfish. And if you're not honest with yourself and you don't believe that's true, that's just an indication of your wretchedness. <laughs> uh, if... if, if um, God doesn't love us because we bat a thousand. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, God loves us because God is love. And what we receive in that love is unmerited favor. We call it grace. The Bible calls it grace. And it's a scandal to our world. What might that look like? Well, we're going to look and see. If you would, grab a Bible or grab the Bible on your phone and turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10. We're going to journey through this. And as we do, I'm not going to read the whole, the whole story right here. You can follow along in, in the midst of uh, what I'm doing here and, and see where I'm headed um, and, and keep me honest here. I'm just going to highlight certain parts of this story. It's a story that a lot of you will probably know. Uh, central to the story is a wee little man. A wee little man was he. His name was Zacchaeus. Yeah. Zach. For short, is, uh, uh, for short, get it, huh? <laughs> Zach is not only short, he is a tax collector, and he's become incredibly wealthy at the expense of his neighbor's family and friends. So, uh, a good way to think about this is, let's say Minnesota was overtaken by a foreign power, and your neighbor decided that they were uh, going to be employed by this foreign power and they were going to collect taxes from everyone in Minnesota, your neighbors, uh, everyone around you, and then they're going to skim a little off the top and put it in their pocket. Uh, You would probably think your neighbor Zacchaeus is a betrayer. He's a Benedict Arnold. He's not for us. He's against us. You probably wouldn't invite him to the local barbecue anymore. All right. So that's who Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus is loathed 
by his fellow Jews. And uh, here comes Jesus, a rabbi, who is getting some notoriety because of all the things he's saying and doing. Jesus comes to Zach's town, but Zacchaeus, he's so short, he decides to climb a tree to be able to get a better look at this rabbi, Jesus. Jesus, walking by, sees the, the guy up in the tree, and what does he say? He says, Zacchaeus, if you are a person who realizes that they are a sinner in need of salvation and only I can save you, and if you will repent from those sins, then I might come to your house. Is that what he said? Is that the way it works? No, 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 no. no. Uh, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. You know what I love about that verse? About Jesus' words there? I love the must. I must stay at your house. Why must he? I mean, he's God. He's the king of kings. Why the must? Because he's full of grace and truth. Amazing grace must love. Or else it's not grace. Amazing grace must actually seek to increase proximity rather than distance. Grace actually has a trajectory of closeness, of getting near, doesn't it? Now, how do the people respond? They mutter. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He is going to be the guest of a sinner. Do you know why they're saying this? Because they don't like his must. Have you ever said this about your kids? Uh, why must they do that? <laughs> oh, those teens. Why must they do that? That my college student suddenly has a bunch of tattoos. Why must she do that? You know, <laughs> We have all this. We don't, we don't like it. And, and so we mutter and we grumble. Well, the reality is he's full of grace and truth and he must. It's just what grace and truth does it must get close and so must we Hmm. jesus going to stay at zach's house is actually a profound act of friendship the minute he crosses the threshold of that front door jesus is saying to everyone around him zach and i are buds i like zach zach and i are going to hang out together by the fact that they are going to share a meal together, is to say, I really like Zacchaeus. I even love him. And, and this was the criticism of Jesus. Jesus, he's a friend of sinners, right? Yeah. He's a drunkard, he's a glutton, he's a friend of sinners. This is what happens when you're full of grace and truth. You end up a friend of sinners. You must be a friend of sinners if you are full of grace and truth. When was the last time someone actually lobbed that criticism at you? You're a friend of sinners. If it's been too long, it's been too long. In Grace and Truth 1.0, Preston Sprinkle writes, once he's inside the house, you might expect Jesus to shut the door, turn to Zacchaeus and say, Okay, look, I I didn't want to do this in front of everyone, but you've got some serious issues. You're a liar, a cheater, a thief, and if you don't repent, you're going to hell. 
which is actually true. He was a liar and he was a cheat and he was destined to be separated from God for eternally in the eternal hell, biblically. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Uh, even though it's all true. He doesn't talk to Zacchaeus about his stance on extortion, nor does he march through the list of Zacchaeus' sins. Jesus doesn't confront, nor does he rebuke. He simply accepts and loves. Why? Because Jesus knows what changes the human heart. Grace precedes obedience. Now, please hear me. Is obedience important to Jesus? Absolutely. This is the man who said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. This is the guy who, when he sent out his disciples, he said, therefore, go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have said. Hmm. Jesus knows no loving relationship actually can exist without obedience to the relationship. If you want to be in a relationship with someone that's powerful, you need to be obedient to the relationship. If you're going to get married, the minute you decide, I'm going to, on a regular basis, uh, break up the marriage vows, you're going to begin to destroy the relationship. A good, loving relationship requires obedience. It's for this reason, though, that Jesus leads with grace. Grace lets Zacchaeus know that Jesus' love is not dependent upon the obedience. Jesus' love is not dependent upon our obedience. If it was, gang, it wouldn't be grace. It can't be grace if it's dependent on obedience. If God, God's love was completely dependent on me batting a thousand, well, I'm not even going to step up to the batter's box because there's no way I can bat a thousand. But if I know I can strike out and there's grace, then I'm going to get up to the plate again and again and again, right? Absolutely. None of us reach that perfection. That's why there's grace. And what grace does is, again, just imagine this, this batter stepping up to the plate. If I know I can strike out and it's gonna, I'm going to be okay, then I'll step up to the plate. If I know that God's created space for me to actually make a U-turn. I've, I've headed down a, a path I shouldn't. I've headed down a path that is destructive to my relationship with God, but I know he is filled with grace. I know he loves me, not because I bat a thousand. I know he loves me just because he is love. Then now I have the space to turn around and return to him on a daily basis. Grace creates space for repentance. And, and this is what Zacchaeus does. He, he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What prompted the change of direction? Was it Jesus posting on Facebook about extortion? You know, Zacchaeus read that and went, oh my goodness, well, of course I should change everything I'm doing. I mean, our Facebook posts, I know they're very powerful. Actually, they're really not, just so we know. We're not really changing anyone's mind on there. Um, no, it was the eternal truth that Jesus knew about the human heart. God's kindness leads to repentance. Not a repentance that leads to God's kindness. Years ago I did this crazy thing. 
uh, I, I started a church, I planted a church in St. Paul, and uh, I would go on just about a weekly basis for a year uh, to a bar called the Muddy Pig, and I would put up a sign that said, free beer if you hate church. And uh, uh, it was a little provocative. I don't do it anymore for other reasons. Um, but it, it was designed to be provocative and de- designed to start conversations. So uh, I put it up and people would come by. They'd be like, what in the world are you doing? I'd say, I'm a pastor new to the area. I'd like to know why you hate the church. And if you tell me, I'll, I'll buy you a beer. And so people would sit down. I'd make them a promise. I'm only going to ask you questions. And uh, so they'd, we'd begin these conversations. They'd, they'd tell me why they don't like the church. And I remember one time I was sitting across from a lesbian woman, and uh, she said something to me I'll never forget. I hope you never forget it either. She said, why would I want to spend eternity with you Christians? I've spent my whole life trying to stay away from you. Now, what did her statement say to me? It said to me, This is a person who very likely hasn't been treated with kindness by Christians. This is maybe someone who doesn't understand that grace is amazing. What's interesting is in all these conversations, my last question would always be, can you tell me how you would define grace? And almost no one could define it biblically. Even people who'd grown up in the church and left the church. They couldn't define the most important thing of Christianity. Question. As we're talking about grace and kindness. uh, Don't raise your hand, but I'm just curious. Think about this. How many of you grew up in a culture where it was socially acceptable to make fun of the lesbian or the gay man or gay student in your grade school or high school. I grew up in a culture like that. I, I grew up where it was, it was accepted. In fact, I would go so far as to say it was church-wise socially acceptable to do that. It was accepted by other Christians. That wouldn't be something you'd confront another Christian on. Can you, can you believe that? People ask me, Pastor, how do we get to a place in our world where we are so divided over um, issues of human sexuality? And I'll start with, I think part of it's our fault. And and the reason it's our fault is because uh, for too long, in fact, we would say for centuries, the church lived with an ethic that it is our cruelty that will lead you to repentance. Well, where's that written? That was socially, culturally accepted in the church. And it's not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that says that's biblical. Um, In fact, if you or someone you love were treated by people from churches uh, with cruelty because of these issues we're talking about, I am so sorry. I can't speak for the whole church, but I personally, a pastor in a Christian church, I am very, very sorry. That wasn't from God that you experienced. You are to experience amazing grace from the church. That's our call. We must do that. See, the God we worship, he came to people who were wretches, like all of us. 
And he came on a mission, not to seek and save all the bright and shiny saints. He came to seek and save those who were lost. That's all of us. This is what Jesus says in this story. Verse 10, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He is a part of the family of God. But the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And his method? He comes through grace and he comes through truth. Again, grace and truth, 1.0. Until Christians develop the reputation for being far too chummy with LGBT, LGBT plus people, we fail to imitate Christ as we ought. I have no problem making that biblical argument. Now, what are the red flags? What are the, ah, I think I need to send an email, I want to send a text. (laughs) Uh, The red flags. Pastor, you're being soft on sin. Some of you might be afraid uh, all this talk about grace is is just going to be affirmation of sin. This is why so many Christians want to keep their distance from LGBT plus people. They're afraid grace and proximity equals affirmation. But hear this, grace doesn't equal affirmation. In fact, gang, come on, let's think about this. Grace almost never equals affirmation or else it's not grace. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. Does that mean Jesus was totally okay with prostitution? Jesus hung out with Zacchaeus, an extortionist. Was Jesus saying, I'm totally okay with extortion? No, that's, that, that's, that's not the way grace works. To, to bestow grace is to bestow favor upon someone who doesn't merit it. And that's all of us. I like what Rick Warren says here. He says this. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Now, amazing grace does not equal affirmation. If it did, then the hymn would sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, I'm totally okay with everything you're doing. (laughs) That's not the way it works. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. It's basically, I'm coming toward you. I'm going to get close to you. I'm going to bestow love upon you because you do a bunch of stuff that's wretched. And it's that grace that saves us. Side note, please know, in this illustration of Zacchaeus, I am not saying that LGBTQ plus people are equivalent to extortionists like Zacchaeus. My point in bringing this up is you had the tax collectors like Zacchaeus and culture was saying, uh, 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 bad, 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 bad. And what we have in our culture often is LGBTQ plus people in culture, church culture especially, is, uh, 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 bad, 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 bad. Jesus actually comes and we apprentice ourselves to him and he shows us what it is to come full of grace and truth. Two questions before we're, we get to Q&A. One, are you willing to bestow the kind of amazing grace you wish to receive? Are you willing to bestow the amazing grace you wish to receive? Deep down, we're all Zacchaeus. We're all desperate for grace, not only from God, but from each other. Disciples of Jesus embody love through grace and truth. 
Amazing grace is a must when you're a disciple of Jesus. And for anyone here who might be LGBTQ+, are you willing to bestow the kind of grace to the church you want to receive from the church? Last question. What is God calling you to do, change, or pray about? Is there something you must do this week? Is there something you must change? Is there something you must pray about? Is there a way you can embody the grace of Christ to your LGBTQ plus friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors this week? My two cents, the LGBTQ plus people near you should come to know you'll take a bullet for them. Must you do so? Well, 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And Jesus gave his life for others. So must we as well. Let's pause there for Q&A. We're going to go just a little long. Serena's got a question over there. Uh, I'm going to invite Shar up and Tone. If you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we do this quite often. I was reserve the right to be wrong. Uh, please, uh, <laughs> I'll, say, I'll put it this way. You must give us grace. <laughs> because, uh, one, we're not experts on this stuff. Um, we're doing our best. You know, the, cult, the, the, the church is always trying to navigate culture well, and we are... We're wretches, and uh, so give us grace, please. Oh, this is a good one, yeah. Uh, how do you engage with someone who is speaking hate towards LGBTQ plus persons? I'll let Char start. I've been talking for too long. <laughs> well, you start by extending grace to them. <laughs> um if someone's experiencing or expressing hate towards anybody um, about anything, I think that's where you start with um, asking questions about where their where their comments are coming from. And um, I think you can even be bold and just say, you know what, can we just do a timeout here and start over? <laughs> this is another helpful way to start a conversation mm-hmm. and then move from there. I, I think I would say if the person is a Christian, you, you have a uh, an opportunity at this point to say, you know what. Are your words reflecting uh, the Christ we worship? No? Other questions? Pass them up, please. Oh, yeah. Hmm. This is interesting. Uh, what is in... What is an important difference... Sorry, there's a ton coming in right now. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, hold on. Actually, I'm going to do this one that came in because this is really good. Um, not that all of your questions aren't great. They're wonderful. Um, how can you gracefully rebuild a broken friendship with an LGBTQ plus person? I'd say you take the initiative and you make the start and, and ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have said things that 
I want to let you know that I've said something or thought something that has not been loving towards you, and I'd like to start again. So let me start by asking for your forgiveness and then receive that forgiveness and start again. Shar's knocking it out of the park today. (laughs) Uh, All right, this is one, this is similar to what we had in the first service. I think it's a good one. So, um, since grace does not equal affirmation, how do we interact with our LGBTQ plus friends who know that at the end of the day we may not affirm their lifestyle? Um, It's a great question. Uh, I, I think as I, as I think about uh, one, we all do life with people with, with whom we disagree. My guess is not everyone in your uh, family voted the same way in the last presidential elections and yet you still somehow accomplished Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay? Um, so we, we, we get to do life with people with whom we disagree. And, and that's okay. I think the important thing is, um, I, I so want you to be you. Will you allow me to be me? And, um, and while we may disagree, I want to know about your journey. And hopefully they'll want to know about your journey. They may not, actually. But that, that'd be wonderful if they did. But, but starting from the point of, um, I love you, I care about you, I'm for you, um, and just because we disagree on something, I mean, think of, we, I have friends who are atheists, I have friends who, who don't uh, affirm Christianity, and yet we still are able to have decent conversations and life, do life together. So I think, it, I think normally speaking, uh, we're able to do this. There, there do come times where uh, you, you're trying to walk with someone and eventually you're like, wow, we just disagree so much, it's going to make the rest, the rest of this relationship hard. Those times happen in all relationships. It's not just, just these kinds of relationships. Any other thoughts? I would just say, I think the identity piece is a good place to, or a good thing to include, too, that my identity is not as a Republican or Democrat. Your identity is not as LGBTQ or heterosexual. That's, mm-hmm. there's, there's something more in common, and um, we have a relationship that extends beyond and deeper than anything like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And this one... Um, let's do two more. Let's do two more. Okay. Uh, this is another repeat, <laughs> kind of, from last service. It's good. Um, if I've been invited to a wedding for persons who might be gay, uh, how do I show grace in this situation without affirming their marriage, if, if that's what you don't believe? I've never been invited to a gay wedding, but... Um, a few years ago, we have a we have a friend who's gay and got married um, to his husband. And Kirk and I were invited to the reception that they had at their home, and we went. And we were the only straight people there. There were probably 100 people in the house, and we were the. When are we the minority? <laughs> we were the only people who were not gay who were in the room, and we just had a wonderful afternoon um, visiting with with folks and just loving them and getting to know who they were. Yeah. Um. I, one thing I shared with the last service, which I'll just share here um, to bring some clarity. Uh, according to the standards in our denomination, it has uh, been specifically stated that Shar and I cannot preside over a same-sex wedding uh, in any way. So we can't um, pray at or read scripture at or um, perform the vows over 
a wedding. We can attend, though. Um, and if you think about, you know, um, th- there are probably other weddings you've been to where you don't totally affirm everything about what is going on with that particular couple, and yet you still attended. So, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. Um, if I was invited to a wedding between uh, a Muslim man and woman, I would go. Absolutely. Um, but I'm not Muslim, and I don't affirm it as a religion. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't love those two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. All right, last one here. How do you, this sort of touches on what we touched on earlier in these questions. How do you help someone realize that their identity should be placed in who they are in Christ and not their sexual identity? I'll take a a stab at that. Um, I think that this question leads to a very important point. Um, And the point is this. The... uh, too often the church has taken the stance that somehow uh, we are in the business of changing a person's sexual orientation. And that's one. None of you have the power to do that. I don't have the power to do that. The, the, you could, you know, wave. A, this is provocative. Just hear what I'm saying. Let's say I can wave a magic wand and suddenly everyone's heterosexual. Well, that doesn't make everyone in the world right with God. You're only made right with God through Christ. And we're all made right with God through Christ, who then, through what only he can accomplish in a process of justification, makes us right with God. And so uh, I would say, um, I've I've had conversations with people who find out I'm a pastor, and they immediately jump to the sexuality questions. And I get that, because they want to know, are you a safe person? Because I've been near pastors, I've been near Christians, and they were mean. Are you going to be like that with me? Uh, I get that. My tack, when I can, is, is to say, well, um, before we get to that topic, can we spend a whole lot of time talking about Jesus first? Um, because Jesus is, is the deal. Uh, Jesus is, it's, everything's been made, been made by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. And I don't know about you, but my... The things, the way God has transformed me has not been by my power. It has been by the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in me. And so, any change that has to come in any person only comes through Christ. And so that has to be the focus. Any other focus is, is, is the wrong tact. It's the wrong direction. So, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It has to be about that. You know, people want to ask me, people outside the church, where do you stand on this? My first tact is, let's talk about Jesus. Because that's, that's the, the main deal. All right? We're going to stop. Thank you both. Give them a round of applause. Uh, thank you for your grace. We will continue this conversation next week. Um, We're going to talk about the relationship of grace and truth and love. I mean, of truth and grace and love. So we'll be uh, residing there next week. I encourage you to be praying for our congregation. And um, let's pray right now. Holy God, we are grateful that uh, your word is a light for our feet. A light for our path. Uh, We're grateful that you have... uh, You've given us this 
revelation of who you are. You've also given us the gift of your spirit. Right now, God, my guess is there are some of us in the room who, who are uh, maybe a little fearful. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take away that fear. We're not to, we're not to move by fear. We're to move by faith. You are good. And, uh, and you can be trusted. Even though the rest of us struggle, you can be trusted. So I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just... Just focus our hearts and our minds right now on Christ. May we even see, be given the gift of his faith who so loved this world that he embraced us. I pray, God, that you would shine a light in all of us so the way we think, the way we feel, the way we move and live and breathe and have our being, and have our being is molded and shaped by you. May people learn that you are love through our love. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're visiting with us, uh, Jill and I uh, would love to meet you. We're going to be out at the blue tables right after the service. If you need prayer for any reason, we're going to have some people down front who would love to pray for you. And the rest of us, we're going to close with this closing prayer. Let's pray it out loud and boldly together. Let's do so. Loving and holy Lord. We are grateful to be your image bearers, made from love, born to love. Make of us walking temples of your spirit. Make of us Jesus with skin on, Christ ones. May your truth be embodied in this family of grace. So all who see us see you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.